The Word of God at Work. That's our title today. Our 1 Thessalonians 2, 1-13 is our text. Um, last week we began our time in 1 Thessalonians. Um, as we began, we noticed how Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to see the gift of the example of their lives, Paul and his companions, uh, that God has given them, that example that God has given to the Thessalonians, and also how the believers uh, in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, were an example to others as well. So they saw an example, they were an example by God working. We saw how that can be a model for us, to be thankful to God for the examples that He has given to us, and, uh, and that the examples that we can be to others as well. We can be thankful for all of that. Paul had only spent several weeks with the people that he's writing to here. Then he was basically chased away by the people in the community that didn't receive uh, and didn't want to receive his message. He tells in chapter 3 how he was concerned for them until finally he was able to get news about them. That's ahead of our text. Uh, but if, you know, if we keep reading, that's what we find in chapter 3. Leading up to that description in the next chapter, chapter 3, he wants to give them some encouragement in what they had believed. Encourage them to continue in that. He wants to encourage the relationship that he has with them so that he can get to a few specific things that he wants to guide them in. In chapters 4 and 5, he gets to some things that he wants to guide them and encourage them in their behavior and in what they believe. Here, he, he just wants to reinforce the relationship. In our text this morning, he wants to reinforce the relationship that he has with them as someone who is an example for them and a teacher to them. Part of doing that is a review of how he and Silas and Timothy, along with him, behaved as they were sharing the gospel message with them. He wants to demonstrate that the work that he did among them is trustworthy. Not so much by pointing to his own trustworthiness, but showing how the way that he followed points to God. Today, we also celebrate Reformation Day, uh, which is, you know, the 31st is, is uh, the anniversary of that day. Uh, Re Reformation Day remembers the day that Luther nailed his 95 theses against um, the practice of indulgences to the church door. Now, we might think that it was a bold move to nail that there on the church door. There was boldness in it, but really nailing it to the church door, that was really just kind of the bulletin board. So that's what he was doing. He was putting it up on the bulletin board on the church door. And really, at the time, as he did that, he didn't have any inclination that this particular act, he, he thought it would have an effect. He wanted it to have an effect, but he did not have an inclination that it would have such a lasting effect or would be remembered so strongly as it has been. Our text today is not directly chosen as a Reformation Day text. It simply follows the flow of the lectionary from one Sunday to another as we've been following through. But it does fit with the theme of Reformation Day and what we recognize in that. Um, the events of October 31st, five centuries ago with Martin Luther, are not uh, the significant thing in and of themselves. Events were sparked by that 
uh, event that continued on in the following years and, event, and decades and centuries that were more broad than that one event. We could probably define uh, then these themes in different ways, the themes that were developed out of that. One way to define them is in terms of a contrast, contrasting a particular practice in the church and why that uh, practice is wrong with an alternative based on God's word. We might also think beyond those specifics and consider other beliefs that may be in error and other actions uh, that are not good that go along with those beliefs. Our text today gets to some of that as well. And we can find a contrast here in our text also. So as we go along in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and we look at our text this morning and the situation of the Thessalonians, uh, we will make some reference to times in history, including the Reformation. And then, because we're not just here for a history lesson, that's not why we're here this morning, um, we will be encouraged to think about how this impacts us as well, and in our, in our thinking, in our beliefs, and in our practices. So as we come to our text this morning in 1 Thessalonians, listen for, how, uh, uh, listen for the contrasts that we find in our text today. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 13 is our text. I'll invite you to stand as you are able as I read that. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 13, reading in Jesus' name. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her child, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Father, thank you for this word to us this morning. And as Paul was writing so long ago to these believers, and I ask that you would help us and guide us to see what you have for us this morning as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. 
I'll invite um, the kids, any kids that would like to come up, to come up to the front. All right. Who else is coming up? Got Eli coming up there. Okay, a few more. All right. Okay. All right, okay. One more, two more, three more. Okay, here we go. Making making his way up. All right. Saul, you coming up too? No? Uh, might be a little scary up here. Okay, I would like to have a uh, volunteer. Would somebody like to help me out? Marta, could you come up here a second? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Could you pick somebody here and go and tell them from me? You got a message from me for them. Can you go tell them that as long as it's okay with their parents, they're invited to have pancakes after the service? Can you go tell somebody? Just pick one person. Go tell that person. Who are you going to tell? Or do you want me to pick somebody? To... Um, yeah. Okay. Do you want to tell, uh, let's see, you want to go tell Jonah? Go tell Jonah. Did you get the message okay? Yeah? Okay, great. Can you go back? Oh, thank you. Hey, nice. Um, what? We'll try it. Okay, come on up, Jude. You want to you wanna help me out here? Oh, open it? Oh, nice. Okay. I'll have to look at that later. Look at, well, I got a heart here, and it opens up to a bigger heart. All right. Thank you. Okay. Hey, can you go tell somebody, pick somebody, and go tell them that they can watch football after the service today? You want to go invite them? Who do you want to tell? You could tell two people if you want to. Okay. Oh, you're going to tell Eli? All right. Great. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Jude. You passed on the message. <laughs> All right. You want to go back and sit down again? Good job. Thanks for my volunteers for passing on that message. You know why? You know why we're doing that today? Well, I wanted to. I wanted to tell you. Did Did you get that message for, right from me? The ones that got the message. Did they get it right from me, or did somebody take the message for me? Somebody took the message for me, right? Do you know what? God does the same thing. We don't hear God's voice talking to us. But he sends us his message through other people. And some of them he told to write it down. And that's what we have in the Bible. And that's God's message to us. And we can trust in that. And, and we, we know that that works in us. And um, here's one. This is specific, specifically related to the, um, to the pancake message here. But this, I, I told the, the AI to, uh, to create a picture with a child inviting another one to have pancakes. Somehow they both have pancakes, I guess. But... Uh, you know, they just see them there with pancakes. But that's what we have today. There was another good one too, but somehow the, uh, I don't know, sometimes it has trouble with, with people and it was like the hand was dripping down. I didn't, I didn't want to use that one. So uh, we'll, we'll use this one here. So you guys can have the picture of uh, being invited for pancakes. I think I don't have quite enough on that side. Yeah, you can get one here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, hand them out. We might need one more on, over on that side possibly. Thanks for coming up, guys. Oh, yeah, there you go. Good. Looking out for his brother. Taking one back for him, too. Everybody got one? Okay. All right. I never want to do too many, but I also don't want to run out. So I, eh, hopefully we always have enough of them. But Well, thinking about God's Word. Um, and uh, we get to that eventually. But uh, starting out here, one of the things that Paul addresses... 
uh, later on in his letter, is worry that the Thessalonians have that, about having missed the day of the Lord and his return. They're, they're worried about that because of events going on. And, and they didn't have enough time with Paul to learn that. So before Paul gets to the specifics of that and what he's addressing, and maybe one or two other things, he encourages them with what has already been happening among them. We also can receive encouragement from the word that we have heard and that we have believed. Paul says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Very little time, as I said, was spent there with them, but it wasn't without result. It had effect in their lives. There were those who believed, even with the short time that the message was being preached among them. They believed and trusted. As we get into Paul's descriptions here, we find that there is a contrast between the Word of God, which is true, and what comes from other places, which is often false. And, and Paul is highlighting what the, the things that are false that come from other places. Often, the truth, as it comes to us in God's Word, faces difficult opposition. Paul reminds these believers here that when he came to their city of Thessalonica, he and the others with him had just come from Philippi, where he had been beaten and put in jail um, illegally as a Roman citizen because of trouble stirred up by some of the people there in response to his preaching. He faced difficult circumstances, but this did not slow him down in his work. He says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Eventually, the mob uh, reaction in Thessalonica became so great that he had to leave town from there. But it didn't stop his preaching. He was preaching and then teaching the new believers as much as he could, even against the opposition. This can be an encouragement to us, I think, as we can contemplate the possibility or the probability or maybe the certainty of facing opposition as we intend to give people the good news of Jesus. You know, my natural inclination is to think that it's possible to get to a point in our world where everyone in the world, or at least most of us, gets along pretty well as we basically have peace. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of more of an optimist, so naturally, that's my natural tendency, is to think that that's possible. If people believe and trust in Jesus and learn to follow him, then things will be great on this earth. And then as I think about it and, and read the things that people say and do, I realize that it's never really going to happen. As much as I like that wishful thinking that it could, it's not ever going to happen. Evil is strongly fighting in opposition to the Word of God. And though it will never win, it will never win, it puts up a very good, strong fight against God and against good. The evil in the world around us, the evil in our rebellious nature that is still within us, the evil that is in Satan and his demons, those who are opposed to us in the spiritual realm, all of these are strong opposition. And we face this sometimes overtly with people being angry at us, and uh, hopefully it's not because we're rude, it's because they object to the truth. I, you know, we've got we to gotta be careful there. We want them objecting to us for the right reasons, right? 
Sometimes it comes more subtly, like someone who just won't talk about spiritual things. Conversation gets shut down or shut out. They might be polite about it, but that too is opposition. Maybe quiet opposition, but opposition to God's word. Paul faced opposition. In fact, throughout the first several centuries of Christianity, there was much opposition to the Word of God, even though it continued to spread. There was opposition either from the, the, from the Roman Empire, as the Gospel spread um, to other places as well, maybe from those governments, East, Eastern, uh, you know, as it went to the East, it found other governments there. Other, and, and it was also faced opposition there, too, from other religions. As, uh, as those who had other systems of belief didn't want, uh, and especially the leaders, didn't want to lose their following. And so they would oppose the, the arrival of, of the good news of Jesus. It might have had opposition from Jews that were in those places that didn't want to believe the message of Jesus. That happened also. The message was for them, but they didn't want to believe it. After the Roman Empire became essentially Christian, often the opposition to the gospel came from within the empire itself, but from the Christian church in the empire. As political power and other priorities overcame the priorities of the gospel. So even, even the church became opposed to the truth sometimes. This was the case for Luther and the other reformers as they needed to oppose doctrines that had, had crept into the church that were damaging to people. That was their situation. We find that they, they needed to stand strong against opposition. And here, as, we get, as Paul is writing, we find our first contrast. He says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error, or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. We might think of these, he kind of makes three different statements here, and we might think of these as different facets of the same problem. Error would be the teaching that is incorrect, whether intentional or maybe it can also be unintentional. Somebody is honestly thinking that they believe the truth and teaching that, but they can still be wrong sometimes. And then as we go beyond the error in the teaching, then impure motives, as Paul mentions, would be the desire to use those errors to get something out of people that they're speaking to. So they're using their teacher, teaching for gain for themselves. And um, in Paul's day, this involved preachers and teachers going around from town to town, basically getting money and other things, uh, even maybe a popular reputation might be part of what they're gaining, uh, or whatever else they could from people. Uh, they, they would get those out of pe people by teaching something that they, they maybe actually believed or maybe they just made it up. But they did it for personal gain. The 95 Theses of Luther that we uh, you know, recognize and remember on, on Reformation Day, they dealt with the sell selling of indulgences which were spoken of as a way to gain favor with God, in particular for those who had died with sins unforgiven, that they could escape from purgatory and, and arrive in heaven before doing more suffering in purgatory. But by this indulgence, and your loved one can be freed and can be in, in heaven without going through all that. So that was what, what uh, Luther, at the time, one of the things that he was dealing with, teaching that was from within the church. 
Even from within the Christian church today, we need to watch out for those who would teach things that are contrary to the gospel, often for their own gain. And, uh, you know, you might think, who comes to mind in, in your experience that falls into this category? Well, one that stands out in my mind often is, is we might think of televangelists, although I, I'm not paying attention to really TV much anymore. I don't know if we have much of that as far as on TV. Maybe there still is quite a bit. Um, but, you know, as, um, as we find people that are teaching something different, you know, as I think about this, televangelists, you know, there might be some that teach the truth. You know, you find people teaching on TV. It doesn't mean that it's false. There are others, though, who are, are making a lot of money, and that's their goal. They do it in the name of, of Christian ministry. And, and really, we find out they're just doing it to serve themselves. Um, now, I say that there may be danger in televangelists, and then, of course, I consider the fact that, you know, our services are streaming on YouTube. So, does that make me a televangelist? I, well, the reality, is that we, the reality is that we don't actually have very many viewers, so uh, probably not. It doesn't count. <laughs> you know, well, that's only one place where we might find people who are teaching things for their own gain. There, there are many people who might do that. And someone who is out for their own gain, can be very creative in how they try to serve themselves uh, under the banner of the church. You know, so it, it can come in many different ways. Paul highlights here that there is a contrast uh, between these people who are out for their own gain and, and with, uh, for, between him and the others with him who did not speak in that way. They were not out for their own gain as they came to the Thessalonians. On the contrary, he says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. He will get more to what that means in a little bit, but for now he's saying that the message that he's bringing is one approved by God. And they, the, they themselves have been approved by God. Paul, directly as he was called by God, by a vision. Um, and then the others with him, Paul, uh, Ty, uh, Timothy, Silas, and, and maybe others as well, were called and, and, and approved by the church in general to, to go along with him to serve uh, God in that way. The way that we might test if someone is approved by God today is this. Does their message follow what we see in the Bible? That's how we know. Their, their message, if their message is good... We can see, yeah, it seems clear. They're called by God to teach that. And, and Paul says, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Here we have the contrast between saying what people want to hear or giving in to pressure of some sort on the one hand with desiring to do what God wants and following that on the other hand. He even mentions, Paul does, testing the hearts now, we can sometimes hide bad motives from other people, but we can never hide our bad motives from God if we find bad motives within us. Paul says, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. The people themselves could testify that, they, that, that Paul and the others never used flattery, flowery words to butter them up, to gain something from them. Greed, of course, is on the inside, so, so God is the witness that they did not cover up some selfish motives on the inside as they were sharing with the Thessalonians. God can acknowledge that. 
Their motives, their motivations were genuine. The indulgences at the time of the Reformation, uh, the money that came from that, you know, they said it was a way to help people's loved ones, but the money that came from that went for the projects of the Roman Catholic Church, building projects and other things like that, you know, supporting the lifestyle of those who were uh, in, uh, in positions of prominence within the church. They were raising money to do these things, and they tricked the people into thinking that they could gain something for loved ones by giving money to this. I think it's easy to point to others, you know, as we think about this. Well, this is a story of other people who were doing these things, right? I think it's easy to point to others and uh, say that we can see their greedy motives. We can say, we can see how they are trying to take people's money, you know, Again, if we find televangelists who we can clearly see, no, I, I see their operation. You know, you can see that they're just doing this to gain for themselves. I think what we need to do is we need to watch for a temptation that there is for all of us to gain something from the preaching of the gospel. As, uh, you know, gain something from other people. It might not be in the same way that we see that occurring as things that I've pointed out here. But we might ask this, do we aim to bring people maybe into our congregation so that we all can be hearing the message of the gospel and encourage one another in that? Or do we have some other goal in mind? Do we aim to simply have a better church that we can be proud of? Is that our goal, some other kind of more selfish motivation? As we preach the good news of Jesus and share that good news with people around us in our culture who need to hear it, do we have their interests in mind, as in the good news of Jesus for them, for their salvation, or is there something lurking in the background where we want to share the good news with them, because if they are also followers and fellow believers, then the risks in this life of danger to us is diminished if we are following God. You see what I'm getting at there? I think sometimes we can say, well, we want people to believe the gospel because it's better for us. You know, we're safer then. I think there's a temptation uh, to go that way, as opposed to simply seeing that they need the good news. Now, I don't think that these things stand out as being common among us. I don't think that's, that's true overall for us. I'm simply pointing out that this is a temptation that we could fall into. Paul contrasts the approach that they took with the Thessalonians that was maybe different than what it could have been. He says, we were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else, even though, now he points out, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. So he says that they could have asserted authority as they told the people what they needed to tell them. They could have come in and said, this is what you need to know. This is how you need to live. As we saw last week, and we will see again, they led by example rather than issuing orders, which he says, you know, we could have done. It would have been legitimate to do it that way. But they led by example. Instead, he says, we were like young children among you. Some translations here might say gentle. We were gentle among you. The word children and the word gentle in Greek have just one letter. There's just one letter different between them. And there are some reasons to, to think that, that children really might be what Paul intended here, what he originally wrote. And if that is what Paul intended to say, how do, how do we picture what he's getting at here? Now, uh, uh, one probably good way of thinking about it is that he might have, it might have been the idea of being non-threatening 
being on the level of the Thessalonians in their new faith, like a child may speak to another child, or as a parent or an adult, might adopt the posture of a child, you know, getting down on their level and speak to them, speaking to them in that way, gentle in that way, as a parent speaking softly and gently to a child. That's how Paul approached these new believers, which, of course, also gentle, also describes. So either way, it it describes well what Paul was getting at. Paul goes on then to describe their actions towards the believers in Thessalonica. Wherever we each stand in the faith, here, us, those of us today, this can be an example to us as well as we care for one another. This can also be how we care for those uh, maybe interested in hearing a little bit more about our faith. How do we approach people who might want to hear, though they don't believe now? He says, just as as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It's interesting that Paul talks this way about people he didn't know all that well. The brief time Paul spent getting to know them, about three weeks, maybe, give or take, that time gave him a love and a concern for them. He tells us a little bit about their time there, which has a lesson specifically for these believers, but also generally for us. He says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Um, If you remember, we said there were teachers that went from place to place just trying to earn money off of the people out of, you know, teaching them something, but it was for their own gain. We see in other places that it's, you know, in Scripture, we see in other places in Scripture that it's not wrong for someone in ministry to receive pay for that. And I might breathe a sigh of relief at this point. Okay. <laughs> There's a point that Paul, uh, to what Paul is getting at here. He had the insight to see in those circumstances that he needed to emphasize in that place that he was not there for money. His behavior was based on the need to emphasize that. And so he and his companions worked to supply their own needs. We find Paul being described as a tent maker, and he most likely worked in that trade as he was in that city. And, you know, if you you know the expression working as a tent maker to describe someone who who does ministry and also works in another profession, either full or part time on the side, that's where that expression comes from, working as a tent maker. The reason for that, particularly in that place, in that city, was so that the right message came across. Paul wanted to make it clear that he was not teaching them for his own gain. The idea that we can take away from that is that we can live our lives in a way that shows people God's love. That's what he was doing, and that's what we want to do. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed, Paul says. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. It reinforces the idea that how we act towards each other and other people is hopefully a reflection of how God acts towards us. And he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, 
who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We certainly want to act that way towards our children, for those of us who have children, or, uh, or as those who are a prayer buddy with uh, some of the children in our congregation. That's how we want to act, right? In a way of encouraging the faith that is in them. If we have a role of leadership in any capacity, it would be good for us to pray that we would live in this way. Caring for those around us. Encouraging them to live lives reflecting God's love. As we um, conclude our text today then, we see where all this is coming from. Why are these believers in Thessalonica able to accept and believe God's word? Why is Paul able to work and live among them in such a way that they can see his example and follow it? Why can Paul and the other apostles boldly stand up and speak the good news of Jesus amid strong opposition? Why can we believe and trust words that were given 2,000 and more years ago? Why can we speak boldly the truth that we find? Why is it possible for us to live in a way that reflects God's love? The reason and the answer to all these questions, the reason is expressed in the thanksgiving that Paul gives at the end of our text. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. This goes back to what Paul said at the beginning of our text, that his visit to them was not without results. Results were produced by the word of God. The results among them were readily, readily visible. You know, these people who believed the message. What caused these results? It was God's word working that made it possible for Paul to, pre to boldly preach the good news when people openly opposed him. It was God's word working that made it possible for the Thessalonian believers to receive that word and grow so quickly in it. Paul reminds them of that word so that when he encourages them in, his, in it, in that word later in the letter, they will remember that it is God's word working in them that they have believed and trusted. It was God's word working that made it possible for the gospel to spread around the world. It was God's word working that made it possible for Luther and other reformers in the time before him and continuing after him to find the errors that were being taught and to stand boldly and teach the truth. It is God's word that can give us strength to speak when we are called to speak. It is God's word working in us that allows us to trust and to believe what he has said to us. As we hear from Paul about the effectiveness of God's word, we want to ask God to protect us from the temptation of looking primarily for our own gain from the preaching of God's word, whatever form that might take. And we thank God for the gift of the good news. We look for how he wants us to go out and how he wants it to come out from us to others around us. And we trust that as it goes out, as we, strengthened by God's word, share that word with others, that God will work through it 
because it is His Word, after all, and it does work with result. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the work of Your Word in this world. We thank You for the messengers who have brought that Word long ago, and in more recent times, still in the past, continue to spread that Word around the world, and those that brought that Word to us, whether it was our family or whether it was others around us, who brought that word of good news of Jesus to us. We thank you for the ways that you have done that. We thank you that your word is faithful and strong and powerful, and that word is still working in our world as much as it faces opposition. We thank you that you work, and we ask that you would, through your word, work through us uh, to reach and, uh, others with the good news that you have. Thank you that you do work. Thank you for the opportunity we have coming up to spend some time uh, sharing some time together with food and, uh, and enjoying that time together. Bless that time and, uh, and our week as we go out from here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.